Good morning, church. My name is Stevie Franks, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so happy that you've chosen to join us uh, on Grace City Online this morning as we've moved just for this Sunday, uh, hopefully online, as we start the Advent season. In the first uh, morning of week of Advent, this morning we're, we're doing hope. We are on the topic of the hope of the Advent season. And we know Advent, it, it is us celebrating and, and anticipating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas time. And so this morning we're talking about the hope that that brings in our lives. And if you're anything like me, I, I am, I love hope. Like I'm a very optimistic person. Like um, I have been all my life, really. I mean, I, you know, people say that they're a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person. Me, I'm more like a hey, there's a glass and there's water in it. That's great, you know? Uh, or if you know me, it would actually be like Mountain Dew in the glass, not water. But that's typically the kind of person I am. But 2020, I mean, come on, guys. Like, 2020 has been terrible, right? And gladly, we're about to put the bow on the year and move over into 2021. And hopefully, 2021 will be differently. I mean, thinking about it, we're talking about hope. And as we move the calendar over to 2021, you, you, probably, have, you probably have so many hopes, right, for the new year. I mean, we, we hope that, that we will find a, a, um, a cure for, for coronavirus, right? We will find a vaccine that will help us uh, negate the spread. We, we hope that this um, divisive presidential election will, will get behind us so we can heal as a country Maybe you, you hope that, you know, you will get the results back on, on that, that test. Or, or you hope to get the job. Or you hope that the broken relationship will be restored. Like, we all have hopes, right? And as we move to the new year and we, and we look at the Christmas season and we look back at this year that we've had, man, so many hopes, right? And, and so much lost hope, maybe for so many people. And if that's you this morning, I pray that this morning in this Christmas season, we will find our hope in the only place we can truly find it, and that's in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, today we'll be kind of working through a, kind of a lot of scripture, um, and it's going to be kind of like, you know, on your iPhone when you, you can like zoom into a picture and then use your fingers and you zoom back out. That, that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. We're going to zoom in a few different scriptures then zoom back out to get the whole picture. So I hope you, you're able to stay with me this morning. And you know, hope is a very predominant topic in the Old Testament. I think the Old Testament gets a bad rap sometimes, right? It's all about God's law. It's all about do's and don'ts. It's all about people messing up. It's all about, you know, it's kind of the boring part of the Bible. Let's flip to the New Testament to the happy part where Jesus comes, right? But I would argue that really the underlying theme across the entire scripture, and specifically the Old Testament, is this hope that we have in our God. And see, there's, there's two words for hope um, that's used in Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament. There is yakal, which is just translated right to, to wait for. It's kind of it's the word used when uh, Noah's waiting you know, on the ark after it's rained for 40 days. He's waiting for the, the waters to, to, res, to subdue and reside so that he can get off the boat. Uh, it's, it's that just waiting for. And then there is the more popular one, which is kavah. Kavah is used throughout scripture. And, it, and it's kind of this idea of, it, it is to wait for. You know, it's the idea of hope. But it carries this, this imagery where it. it literally means that 
a rope being pulled tight. So you have a rope, you're pulling on both ends. It's just tension, right? It's holding this tension of a rope and you're anticipating something to happen. You're anticipating that rope to snap because of the the tension. That's what it means to hope, right? It's saying like, God, you have to do something, right? Something's got to give. Something has to happen. I need hope, right? And that's the idea. And throughout Scripture, this, when kavah is being used, this hope of, of Scripture, hope is always used with a person, not a thing. It's not this, I hope my life will get better. I hope tomorrow is prettier weather. I hope the Cowboys win a Super Bowl again, which probably won't ever happen, right? Like, it is, it's not that. In the Bible, hope is always tied to a person, namely the person of God. Right, that, that's what hope is tied to. I'm going to give you a few scripture references here. that will be on the screen. Psalm 25, 5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my kavah is in you all day long. Psalm 62, 5 says, Yes, my soul find rest in God. My kavah comes from him. Isaiah 40, 31, a very popular verse. But those who kavah in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And perhaps one of the most popular Bible verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you kavah in a future. Right, so here in Jeremiah 29, 11, he's not talking about just, I have plans for your life. It's going to be great. You're going to have all these great things. You're going to get whatever your heart desires. You know, when you graduate high school, everything's going to be great. Like, that's not what Jeremiah 29, 11 is saying. God is saying, I have a plan for you, and that plan is to give you myself. God is the hope, right? The Lord is our hope. He is where we find our hope. He is where we find our future. So the the biblical idea of hope is saying, God, my hope is in you. I'm eagerly waiting for you to work, and I'm trusting that you will. That's biblical hope. That's what we're talking about. So we see that throughout the Old Testament, right? This time and time again, and, and, and how God's hope kind of comes out and how it's kind of more the rubber hits the road is through his promises. And we see this in our first kind of major text this morning, which is Genesis chapter 3. Now in Genesis 3, right, uh, God has placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He created mankind, created the world, and it's perfect. And he gave them one rule, right, to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent was in the garden, and it tempted Eve and to question God's truth, to question God's authority, that they were, God was, was you know, they wanted them to miss out on something. And so they, they ate the fruit, disobeyed God. In doing so, the first sin entered the world and broke the relationship between God's creation and himself. So in Genesis 3 here, we see God's um, curses on the sin. And so he's speaking to the serpent here in Genesis 3, verse 15. It's the first promise that we see in God here. And it's, and I will put enmity, verse 15, between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this is known as the first gospel um, in the Bible because it's like the first kind of appearance that we see of, of, of the gospel message that God is going to send the Messiah to come and to set us free from this sin that we feel the curse of starting in Genesis 3. So that's what we see here. And this kavah that we have in God is that 
The serpent may have won this day when sin entered the world, and he may even bite the heel of the Messiah, but he will crush the serpent's head. So it's his first promise, and this, this promise is the rest of the Old Testament, right? It's God just renewing this promise, speaking that, that one day he is going to bring an end to the sin and death in this world and bring his people back to himself. He promises Abraham that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars and that the whole world would be blessed through his offspring. He promises David that through his lineage, someone from his line would be the forever conquering king. Right, throughout the Old Testament, he sends prophets to prophesy to Israel to turn from their sins and that God was up to something and God was going to make a way for them to be made right by him. So throughout the whole Old Testament, God is doing this. And then we see the end of the Old Testament. The last book, if you turn there, it's the book of Malachi. And Malachi was a prophet sent to Israel. And this is post-exile. They have returned to Jerusalem that the, the Persians and King Cyrus has taken over the land and sent many of the Jews back to Israel. And Malachi is prophesying to them because they still were wicked. They still were sinful. And God is calling them back to himself. But check this out. In the last two verses of the entire Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses um, 5 and 6, we see this promise that that God who promises in Genesis 3 that was going to do something, right, to make this right, he's still making that promise at the end of the, the whole Old Testament. So read with me verses 5 and 6. It says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn their hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children back to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So the Old Testament ends with this promise that God was going to send Elijah back and was going to prepare the way for the Lord. And he was going to make all things right and make all things new. So that's how we end the Old Testament is this promise of God, this kavah that we have in God, this hope that he was still up to something. But then the Old Testament ends. And see, my Bible has this white page before the New Testament. But this white page is actually 400 years of silence by God. Right, that Jerusalem and Palestine, the Jews, they were governed and, and ruled by the Persians. And then the Greeks came in. Alexander the Great conquered the land. Still, nothing from God. Then the Jews revolt. They actually take ownership. They take back the power in their own land. Still, nothing from God. Then in 63 BC, the Romans come in and Pompeii, and they take over the promised land. They take over Israel. Nothing from God. God is still silent. Where is Elijah? Where is this promise of God? Where is our kavah? Because people just keep coming in and conquer us and we don't see the way out. We tried. We can't do it. God, where are you? 400 years. Then we open up the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all accounts of this story that God started doing something. And he was actually working this entire time. Look over in Luke chapter 1, which is kind of the beginning of where we get the Christmas story, right? the advent, the coming of our Christ in Luke 1 and 2. We see there's this priest, and actually David, I believe, preached on this last year. There's this priest named Zechariah. And we see this angel of the Lord come to him. Let's read in um, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 18. In the time of Herod, King of Judea, they were being ruled by the Romans. 
there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I would be too if this angel came out of nowhere and started talking to me. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Check this out. Verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For, why? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be brought back to the Lord, their God. And here it is, verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sound familiar? 400 years ago, before God was silent, we heard this promise from Malachi. That God was sending Elijah. And we open up the New Testament. Where's the kavah? Where is our hope? There's tension, right? Like, God, we need you to do something. And here it is. God was up to something. Not just this baby, right? But he was preparing this baby to prepare the way for the real baby. The real boy, right? Jesus was coming. And John's duty was to prepare that way for him. This is Advent. The Kavah was beginning to work and come into place in Jesus' coming. And then we look over in the beginning of the book of John, right? And John starts his gospel not at the birth of John or Jesus, but John the Baptist is now an adult. So the one coming in the spirit of Elijah, the one that was prophesied would come and prepare the way for the Lord to bring in that Kavah. Here he is. And in verse 29, says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who that is. John the Baptist here was fulfilling his purpose, his God-given reason for coming on this earth was to prepare the way of the Lord. And here it is. The Lord was doing something. In fact, he sent his son to be the sacrificial lamb for all to make us new, to make us whole, to redeem us. That curse of sin that happened in Genesis 3 now would be broken because of his life, death, and resurrection on the cross to the grave to now being alive. That was all happening now because the lamb of God is here. He's here, Emmanuel, God with us. He's here. And so we see Malachi being fulfilled. All these promises, right? This, this kavah of the Old Testament was coming to fruition in Christ. Now, he is the Lamb of God that has come. So God was working by bringing here the Lamb of God on earth. But that's not the end of the story. Praise God. 
You know, I mean, there's hope in that, right? I mean, there's hope that we believe, right? We believe in God the Father. We believe that Jesus was his son that came, that lived a perfect life, that died on my behalf, in your behalf, so that now we could be made whole, we could be brought back with a price to the Father, and we could be in a relationship with him. Like, man, praise God for that, right? And that was the work of the cross in the empty tomb. And through the empty tomb, proved that he was exactly who he said he was, that he does hold all power and could do all things. That's the God that we serve. But that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the New Testament. We flip over to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. We see not John the baptizer, but the apostle John saw this vision from God. And we see here kind of this many things, and it can be a confusing book, but toward the end, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we see the end, and, and John is seeing what was to come. John is seeing God's ultimate victory, that God's ultimate victory that started on the cross, now in the future was going to come the full victory, right? Because right now, where we are right now, yes, we live in light of the victory of the cross and the empty grave, but we still suffer, right? There's still disease that's rampant. There's still injustices that is rampant. There's still innocent people dying. There are still terrible things that happen to us. Life isn't easy. Life isn't good. So where's our hope? Where's our kava? Because yes, God has been up to something since the creation of the world and we see it in the baby Jesus being born in a manger And there's hope in that, that God is with us doing something. But ultimately, he promises to do everything. Starting in Revelation 21, we're going to take this in three little chunks. Verses 1 through 5 of 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Man, praise God. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Man, God is making all these things new. The hurt that we, we experience on this planet, the, the things in our life that aren't meant to be, they should not be the way they are, death and pain and hurt and suffering that was never intended for God's people. One day... It's, it's going to be done. One day it will be finished when that new heaven and new earth is brought by God. But then he goes on, verses 22 through 27. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, there's the Lamb of God. Remember John 1 when John saw Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God. Here he is. The Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it and nothing impure will enter it nor with anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's coming. Right? The Lamb making all things new. And we won't even need the sun because the Lord God will shine his light and all will be able to see. Then he goes on, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. This is where we'll end. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will be no need. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Man. Like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Like, how can you read this and not just eagerly just say, come on, God, you are my kavah. You are my hope. You have to do something because I see the mess that we're in. I see the mess that my life is in. And God, I need you. Right, my hope is only in you. And I trust that these words are true. And just as you fulfilled your promises in the past, I know you will one day here. Like, that's our hope. That's our hope of Christmas. That's how we're able to persevere. That's how we're able to endure. That's the source of our strength. Because our hope is a living hope. It's not in a thing. It's not in a season. It's not a place or time, but it's in a person. And that's the Lord Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And he is coming back to establish his kingdom here on earth. That will be no more pain, no more suffering. And the curse of sin from Genesis 3 will be gone. Ceased to exist. Praise God. So what does that mean for us now? What does it mean? Does it make all the pain go away? No. Does it make the suffering stop? No. Does COVID-19 just go away? No. But it means that we have a kavah. We have a hope that we know that this is not the end of the story. And that what God has done in the past and what he has promised to do in the future is trustworthy. I know there's probably no doubt in this by looking at me, but I don't like running on a treadmill. I hate it. I mean, I hate running in general. But the worst thing about a treadmill is it just keeps going forever, right? Like, I mean, literally, if you didn't stop a treadmill, like, you just are running forever. It's the worst. I hate a treadmill. If you're a treadmill watching this, I'm sorry, treadmill. But treadmills are the worst. See, I don't like running, but if I am running, I would much rather run outside, right, where I can, like, see my goal. I can see where I'm going. Like, I can see, okay, if I can just make it to that next stop sign or if I can just make it to this next landmark, then I'm done, right? And that, that helps me endure. That helps me, like, get through the pain of running, right? I, I can do that when there's a marker. Well, the treadmill just keeps going. And they're like, okay, I'll make it after 10 minutes, whatever. But, like, but when you're running outside, you can see the end. 
and it fuels you in the race. And man, this right here in Revelation, that's the end. That's our marker. That's what is coming for those who are in Christ Jesus as his followers. And man, this helps me endure. Right? This helps me know that the things happening right now, though they're painful, though they're real, though they're serious, praise God, they're not forever. They're temporary. And that one day he will wipe away every tear. That's the hope of Christmas. So we can celebrate. We can find joy and comfort this Christmas season and ultimately find our hope, our kavah, in him. Because he is who he says he is and our living hope has always been and always will be. And our hope is in him. Praise God for that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this hope that we have in you. I mean, if, if my hope is in myself, if our hope was in each other or other people, other leaders, it'd be broken. It wouldn't be right because we're all just broken people living in a broken world, God. But praise you for who you are, for what you've done in the past, what you've promised to do in the future, God. And I pray that you help us. Only by your grace are we able to hold on to this truth today, despite what's going on in our world that we can know that you are on your throne and that your promises are trustworthy. God, we pray for all those right now who are hurting, who are broken. And ultimately, those who don't know you and don't know the hope that's found in your name, I pray that you help us be agents of that hope. That tomorrow when we go to work, when we're with family over the holidays, when we're speaking on social media or whatever we're doing, that we are agents of your hope that is only found in you. And we're bringing people to your throne because that's the only hope. So I pray that we rest in that. You'll fuel us in that and give us the endurance and strength to trust that in this season. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.